0: The club expects their golf pros and their assistant pros to make sure everything's perfect.
1: We want a club pro that can play like Tiger, teach like Butch, uh, merchandise like Ralph Lauren, and tell jokes like Bob Hope.
2: But it is absolutely the problem, is the amount of pay for the amount of work doesn't mesh.
3: For clubs, if you don't make these changes, you're not going to get the people you want. Your product is going to suffer. People are not going to want to come play there. They're going to go elsewhere, and you're eventually going to go out of business. Is Seth Waugh helping?
0: He's the right guy in the driver's seat. But is there a vehicle he can drive that can make it any better? people were put on earth to make everybody's lives better right like how can you not want to be surrounded by those people
4: right and um and that's what a pga professional is you know it's not perfect we're not perfect i'm far from perfect we're moving the needle um making a lot of progress and uh, i hope people are are noticing it but that's not the point either right the point is is leaving the room better and and i'm going to keep fighting to do that every day
5: Put another log on the fire Nobody here is getting tired Welcome to The Fire Pit with Matt Janella. In part one of this series of podcasts on the Club Pro Crisis, we got the background on how and why I'm doing this. In short, I said something ignorant. I think most would call it stupid and many did. It's hard to be stupid without being ignorant, but I'd like to think you can be ignorant without being stupid. Anyway, for more context, I hope you've listened to part one. To summarize, my sincere apologies to club pros and PGA professionals. I appreciate you, and many of you I consider friends. It's your humility and selflessness that are actually part of the problem. As one club pro told me, you're not good at promoting yourselves. You're too busy helping others, and thus you're often taken for granted. On that note, I want to thank some of the sponsors of the Fire Pit Collective. Dormy Workshop is an incredible company, a golf family business based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where all they do is make quality leather head covers and accessories. Go to dormyworkshop.com and use Fire Pit 15 for 15% off your next purchase. And then there's Link Soul, the lifestyle clothing brand I've worn on and off the course in and out of the water for 10 years. Polos, hats, hoodies, shorts, pants, and t-shirts. Make par, not war, and go to linksoul.com and use promo code FIREPIT25 for 25% off your next purchase. All right, for part two of this series, we start with Shane Ryan, author of several golf books, which includes Slaying the Tiger, Chasing the Legends, and The Cup They Couldn't Lose. Ryan has written for Grantland, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and in May of 2022, wrote a story for Golf Digest entitled The Club Pro Crisis. Why did you feel c- compelled or um, sort of inspired to do what you did in telling that's the story that you've told here?
3: Yeah. I mean, like you, Matt, I didn't know a lot about this at all. I was not familiar with this world. You know, you know, your club pro when you go practice or play and you sort of take them for granted and you don't realize that, hey, they might be working 70 hours a week and they might be under incredible stress and, you know, not making as much money as they want and all that. Uh, it actually stemmed from a conversation I had. Um, I wrote a book about the Ryder Cup, and in the course of it, you know, I, I talked with a number of different people, and basically through the crazy paths that sometimes happen, you, I ended up talking with a club pro who said, you know, you really need to look at this issue. It's happening everywhere. It's a big deal. It's a, like a basically an epidemic, uh, and so that kind of piqued my interest, and I sort of you know put a pin on it, and then when I had time, um, I threw a tweet out there just saying, you know, is this is this something that's happening? Do you feel like you're not in control of your time? You're being overworked. You're being underpaid, mistreated, whatever. Uh, And the response was unbelievable. Not just people, you know, tweeting back at me, but tagging everybody in that they knew. I got a ton of emails. And yeah, then it was just off to the races going, wow, I had no idea this was such a phenomenon. And yeah, the story idea was, was born from that.
5: More on Shane Ryan's reporting in a minute. For now, back to Chandler Withington who we heard from throughout part one of this series. Withington is formerly of Seminole, Marion and Hazeltine, which is where he resigned from his post as head professional in 2021.
1: So the summer of 21 is when my wife and I really started having the conversation about, is this us? And, um, it was really accelerated You know, our three-year-old now she's two. Um, you know, sometimes you go a week, 14 days without seeing your kids awake. And, um, you know, two-year-olds don't have the memory. You know, my two-year-old looked at me one day when I was home. She looks at me and she goes, what are you doing in mommy's house? <laughs> she didn't know who I was. And, uh, and that was it. That was, that was all I needed to be you know, Like, if my daughter doesn't know who I am, then what are we really doing here?
5: From Shane Ryan's reporting and platform, several of these issues have been exposed. And according to Sun Tzu's Art of War, if you know the enemy in yourself... You need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Here's Cody Sinkler, director of golf operations at the park in West Palm beach, Florida.
6: I think golf pros are are in a place right now where I don't know if fed up is the word, but, um, we're a little sensitive and the golf pro crisis, um, Shane's article highlighted what is very common. I mean, what, what's highlighted in that article is are examples of the lives of a lot of golf pros, if not the majority of golf pros.
5: And here's Connor Evers, who graduated from the PGM program at Methodist University in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He did internships in Massachusetts, Jackson Hole, Detroit, and his last one was at Adair Manor in Ireland. At 25 years old, he's been to 30 countries, which serves him well at his current role of expedition planning manager for Haversham and Baker, a company that describes themselves as, quote, the country club of international golf travel. Here's Evers on the impact of Shane Ryan's story.
4: When that article came out, I mean, my social media and text blew up. I mean, that morning when that dropped, Everyone was talking about it. I mean, every everyone that I'm connected with are in the golf industry. That's just kind of how my life is. But um, it was great. Um, it definitely got, you know, talking points. And I know a few um of my friends, their members came up and was, I mean, they're there every single day. But I, I guess that was reading that article, a lot of people as members were like, Oh, I, I guess I should be a little bit more thankful for what you guys do for me. Um and that happened actually quite a few times um, throughout a couple of my, my people that I know. So yeah, it was pretty interesting. That was very enlightening. And it, it definitely, uh, I think that was kind of the the spark that kind of lit the fire, if you will, with, with the whole conversation a little bit more.
3: Back to Shane Ryan. One thing I would say is that the people I spoke to that are working on this are not necessarily you know these idealists or anything. And what the message they gave me, and I think it's an important message, is that For clubs, if you don't make these changes, you're not going to get the people you want. Your product is going to suffer. People are not going to want to come play there. They're going to go elsewhere, and you're eventually going to go out of business, right? This this is not some kind of charity thing you need to do. This is like a life and death thing that all golf clubs need to look at because it is crucial to their survival.
5: One of the things that needs looking at, one of the battles, is work-life balance or imbalance. Here's Robbins Manley, who became a Class A pro 20 years ago. He was an assistant pro at Breckenridge Golf Club for both decades. After getting married at the age of 46, he left the golf industry. And although he still has his PGA membership and teaches on occasion, his current focus is real estate.
2: I don't have the answer, but I think it definitely comes from a misunderstanding of what that PGA logo really means and what the value that we bring. And us as we have a hard time tooting our own horn, I think, as PGA professionals of really going to our employer and saying, look, this is these are the rounds I taught and these are the number of golfers that I brought to the game that are now avid golfers that are now buying clubs and now joining Ladies League and Men's League. and And we've got to do a better job ourselves of promoting that and letting our employer know our value. But it is there's not a perfect answer for sure, because golf is a sun up to sundown business. And if you're not there, it's frowned upon. And so I don't, I don't have the answer. And I, and I've been out of the business for a couple of years. Um, so I'm not actively in the grind, but the reason I left was I wanted to get married and I knew that that was not going to, um, that wasn't going to work, um, 80 hours and not being with my new bride wasn't, And financially wasn't going to work, but I use my golf connections to now move into the real estate world, which has been awesome. So it was a great, great, I'm glad to still be a PGA member. I'll be a life member here pretty soon. And, but I, yeah, I don't have the perfect answer, but, but it is absolutely the problem is the amount of pay for the amount of work doesn't mesh.
5: For a deeper dive and context, back to Chandler Withington.
2: If we rewind
1: and you're going to talk to Seth, um, February, 2020, Seth invited me and Kerry Cosby and a few others down to Florida. He wanted to have kind of like a side council, you know, um, he's like, tell me, tell me what's really going on. You know, the the board's going to tell me what's going on, but what's really going on and how can I help? Went around the the table at the reef, which I'm sure you've been to, um, you know, Bob Ford, you know, was retiring, said, look, Seth, you're a financial guy. I think, you know, pension program would be really impactful. And that's where, the, you know, Seth started a, a deferred compensation program, which is really impactful. And that's what that conversation started from. Went around the table and it got to me and I said, look, I, Bob, I said, pension's impactful, no doubt, right? But I can tell you right now, like a 25-year-old kid's going to look at that and laugh because they're getting out because of something else. I said, I think the biggest threat to our industry is the expectation of our time. And we are the, the Titanic heading towards the iceberg. And if we can't reset expectations with the club managers and the club leaders and the boards, we're going to hit the iceberg and it's going to sink us. And I looked right over at Bob I said, Bob, don't, don't even say it because I know what you're thinking. Like, I mean, here's a guy who worked Oakmont and Seminole, right? I so said, you busted your ass and I'm, I'm not trying to call a younger generation or even me lazy, but things have changed is all I'm telling you. It's like the job that you did for so long is not the, the way it is anymore. And Bob goes, I ain't laughing parts. I, I hear it and I see it. And I said, Seth, it's going to feel like global warming. It's like one of those things where it's like, we should look at this and we should start taking measures now because you can't just reverse the cycle You know, when you get there, right? It takes years to reverse it. Um, I said, look at the size of PGM programs are going like this. The amount of you know young kids coming in are going like this. The supply is going like this ever since COVID. So if the supply is going like this and the game is going like this, Where are we in five years pretty scary
5: connor evers again on how and why he left
4: i guess the the big thing was just the 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 hours um you know eventually i guess that I'm, i'm 25 i eventually want to have a family and kids um i know it's not the same everywhere but it is you know long hours um and i just wanted i guess more structure uh i guess that's that was kind of the the biggest thing for me just wanting more structure um, you know, the, the classic cliche nine to five, I, I know people don't like that, but I do I like, I like structure like that. So I guess the main thing was for me was, was the hours. I mean, I definitely do miss a lot. I mean, I don't play as much golf, to be honest with you. Um, as, as I did, um, that's the one thing that I, I do miss, I guess I'm kind of seeing it, you know, from, from two things, from two sides of it now, but I just the hours I would say to, to answer that question there.
5: Here's Brad Sniper of Raleigh, North Carolina. We heard from him in part one. He's 29. He graduated from NC State in golf management. His internships were at TPC Potomac, Doral, and Sleepy Hollow. He worked at Philly Cricket Club for two summer seasons and a winter at Johns Island in Florida. He spent time as a head fitter at Liberty National. And although he's still a Class A professional, he's been out of the green grass aspect of the industry since 2019. He's now an online club retailer. His thoughts on a thirty dollars to $40,000 annual salary and a work-life imbalance.
7: So through the internships, uh, the PGA requires that all internships are paid through PGM, which is awesome. We're very lucky. Um, it kind of spans uh, quite a spectrum, though, once you get into it, because um, I was lucky enough to have a couple internships that had housing kind of built in. Um I lived at the gatehouse right as you first go on property, uh, at sleepy hollow, um, me and two others or another intern and an assistant lived right in the gatehouse there, which was incredible. I mean, I could, I woke our, the short game area was in my backyard. So, you know, we, we hang out there kind of true bagger van style, turn someone's headlights on, or, um, you know, take a lantern out after work, whatever chips and balls or whatever. Um, so positions like that you're lucky um so you can kind of save a little more but i mean yeah once you're out looking at that 30 to 40 number is is uh is a nice number um you hear a lot of numbers lower than that but um it's really not what you think about when you're getting into that it's you might have your kind of sights set a little further down the road. Um, You know, you got to put in the time, grind it out. If if you want to make money in green grass, uh, you're not doing it as an assistant. So, yeah, it's definitely you're looking at that 30 to 40. um, If you really want to grind it out and and teach. Um, I wasn't much of a uh, an instructor myself, never really leaned into that side of the game too much, but There are opportunities if you want to really press it and grind, Um, you can make a little extra, but it's it's always tight, that's for sure.
5: From a couple of 20-somethings to Butch Harmon, whose family has been entrenched in this industry for nearly a century and can always be counted on for a frank and informed perspective. People are leaving the industry at a rapid rate. Uh, schools are closing. Uh, you know, cl- clubs are pinching budgets. And when they do, they tend to like pinch from the people component. You know, it's not going to be on the on the the quality of golf course itself. They look around and they go, oh, well, we'll just we'll just only keep one pro or one assistant or just two assistants instead of three. I mean, it it, it and and younger people coming up to in this industry are saying, I got to work that long for that and be required to do all of that, why would I, I'm out.
0: I don't disagree with you. And and now you have, at the university level, you have the PGM programs, which is run by the PGA. A lot of good programs around the country. We have a very good one here at UNLV where I live in Las Vegas. I I try and do a lot of work with them. But they're taught from a manual. They have a manual, a teaching manual, a business manual, this and that. And they get upset with me because I always speak, either at their graduations or I get them out to my place once a year and talk to them. And I say to them, look, the first thing you need to do when you graduate from this course, and I hold their manual up, I said, this is what you're tested on, this man- manual right here. Throw that in the garbage because you're never going to use it again because everything in here is cookie cut. You, you're you're going to be a cub pro. You're going to be, if you cho- choose to go here, you're going to do a lot more than this test you just took from this book. It tells you how to do stuff because you're going to have to know how to deal with your members. You're going to have to know how to deal with your ladies golf association, uh, your junior clinics, all of these stuff. You're going to have to know that. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that in this day and age, the club pro is asked to do a lot, but is not compensated for all that he does. Because a good club can't function without a good head pro. And then his staff that he brings on, the bigger the club, the bigger the staff. I mean, I was just at Wingfoot a few weeks ago playing in, a, in the member guests there. And I think Mike my, my Gilmore must have six or seven guys on his staff that take care of all the stuff that take. That's a big club. It's 36 holes, a lot of members. But even on a smaller version of that, like you said a minute ago, you know, they don't want to because they're paying everybody. It used to be in the old days, they didn't pay you anything. You made all your money from the for, for first of all, you started the year getting your club storage money. That helped you not have to go to the bank and borrow a lot of money to do your merchandising and so on and so forth. You had your range programs. So that helped you. You had the guaranteed income. You don't have any of that anymore. You have whatever they're paying you. And the question I would ask you and and all the people that are watching that, is that an incentive to do a good job? Maybe not. It's an incentive to exist. But I don't know.
5: Back to Cody Sinkler.
0: our pgm enrollment
6: is down significantly pgm programs are closing um clemson's i think closed florida state's closed um there are less people that want to do this it's because of the work-life balance we've gone so far this way and 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 the pay um i mean there are there are still jobs paying 12 13 an hour for an assistant golf professional who we want to be in the pgm program which by the way costs about 10 grand to finish um and we want them to have a bachelor's degree and there are jobs advertising 12 13 14 an hour
5: so it's not just a work-life balance it's never not about the money and the numbers across the board are indeed dire here's brad sniper
7: Going into the program, we were told, I'm not sure if this is still 100% true or even if it was at the time, but going into the program, we were told that within five years um, of gaining certification, within five years, 50% of PGA pros are out of the business.
5: In keeping a running tab of issues, it's work-life balance, money, and then there's the free access to information or instruction. We've already heard from Kieran Kanwar of Mumbai, India. She's been in the U.S. since 2005. She has a Ph.D. in kinesiology. She's an LPGA master instructor, and she's the chair of the golf department at Stanton University in Orange County, California. She's been teaching the game for 33 years.
8: Yeah, they're underappreciated. There's no value. And now in this day and age, they don't make what they whatever they deserve because the most popular teacher on this planet is YouTube. And the attitude is Hey, I've been messed up by so many pros or why should I spend money when it's on YouTube? Nobody realized it's like, e- e- even in medicine, where a doctor is such a highly trained person, people are, I mean, I'm one of them as well. I look up some, whatever I feel I have and look it up on internet and maybe self-medicate if I can. So the value of somebody that's good is also being lost because YouTube is the biggest instructor for anything you want to know.
5: Which brings us to yet another battle. Back to Robbins Manley of Breckenridge, then Kieran, and then Butch. Is it quite simply an awareness issue, Robbins?
2: Um, I think that if I had to put one, that was probably one. But, but 1A is still uh, the money. Where's the money going to come from when you run the budget of the golf course? Where's the money going to come from to pay all your assistants hundred grand and the assistant superintendents? You know, it the, the top guys, the head pros and GMs, depending on how the course is set up, tend to be okay. It's that second level that that I'm passionate about because I was in that position so long that has the hardest time. Mm-hmm. And then so new people aren't coming in as much applying for jobs because that's where they have to start and they know they've seen their buddies do it or they've been around it enough to know that well i'm gonna to have to work 80 hours for forty five thousand dollars a year and you know in this day and age that that's a hard you know as a single guy that is living with roommates you can pull that off but how long is that going to last
8: there are many club pros who are not getting what they deserve and they work long hours i mean there's no denying that whether they're good or not then and there also a lot of clubs have the silly thing that you bundle up a good teacher with selling, you know, Hey, sir, this red shirt looks great. You should get six of them. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, why, why is the one person doing everything? If he or she is a good instructor, the clubs don't realize the value of a good instructor and promote them. There are some big corporations that now say you will get 50% of what you, uh, uh, what you charge. So, I would have to go back if I worked for a private club to what I charged in uh, 2006 when I first came to the US. You know, uh, how does that make sense? And and consider for the club that it's a pittance of what uh, compared to what they are making. How does it help them to charge the poor pro so much and uh, how do they benefit versus if you have a happy pro? Uh, he or she is getting people to dine at the club and uh, play other sports at the club, hang out, do events, do other stuff. You know, so it is it is true that club pros uh, could, if they're good, uh, be the life and soul of a golf course and uh, really uh, you know bump up the popularity of a golf club. But I don't think any. Management companies realize that. So then you have to be an independent contractor. And then you have this whole other thing called marketing, which becomes really like in many cases, like a salesman type of job, which not everybody's good at.
5: Where I'm at right now in, in having this conversation with you, if you asked me what I what I what my feedback is and what I'm hearing, it's an awareness issue. On that very thing, Butch, it's the very thing. It's wow. club to club, course to course taking for granted the person or people who are out there selfish, selflessly making an effort to make their lives better. And there's only so much time in a day and there's only so many days in a week that one person or a team of small people or whatever the number is that can that can execute on a day to day basis.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, how, how do you change that? How do you how do you change the whole personality of the business now compared to the personality of the business I grew up in? I'm not saying they need to go back to the way it was 30, 50, 60 years ago. Time marches on, but this is where we are. This is where we have arrived at this position now. And there are so many golf pros in the country today, head pros, the can't break 80. They don't really know how to teach. their Their job is to sell shirts and hats and stuff in the, and clubs in the pro shop, so the club can make money on it, and they're paid a salary to do that, and maybe a small percentage of it. Well, that to me is not a golf pro. That's a clerk. That's the a golf pro is a guy that that handles all the teaching and clinics and all everything. The men's association, women's association, the clubs have taken all that over. Committees run all those things now, and but yet the club expects. Their golf pros and their assistant pros to make sure everything's perfect. Everything has to be run right. We need this is what we need to do. You go to uh, apply for a job today and you sit down with a committee that's that's doing the interview and they're, they're telling you this is what we need you to do. This is this is the pro we, we want. This is what we want from our pro. Fine. What are you going to pay me? Well, this is what we're paying to go. Really, you want all that for this? And that sounds cruel, but that's reality. And I know I'm going to take a lot of flack because I just said that, but I've been around this business my whole life. I'm 79 years old. I grew up in golf. I don't know anything else but golf. I don't know how to do anything else. I mean, if they ever made golf illegal, I'd have to rob a 7-Eleven to make a living. through that. Maybe I could be a used car salesman or something, but this, I've been around this business my whole life. I've watched it the way it has evolved and the way it is kind of how we got to the high point and then how everything started to go down and like I say, and please, you, you you pros that work so hard at your clubs, I'm not downgrading you. I just want a better existence for you.
5: Here's Cody Sinkler. Is that what you would say first and foremost is, is this is an awareness issue?
6: It's 100% it's an awareness issue. It's an issue where um, we've sort of taken this path of working all this overtime and, you know, eventually knowing it's going to pay off. And it's just gone too far. And we've gotten to the point where it's the norm it's expected. Um, it's expected for an assistant golf professional to make $30,000 a year and work, I would say 50 hours is probably a conservative, uh, average for this person. And they're expected to have a college degree. They're expected to be either finish that PGM program that you mentioned, uh, or working on that. Um, it's just, and coming from, it's hard when you look at there's so many different facilities, right? You have driving ranges, you have public golf courses, you have your top golfs, um, golf techs, and you have your high-end private clubs. Um, they all have their different challenges, you know, uh, coming from a family owned, Public golf course up in the Midwest, where golf season's only six months out of the year, they have revenue challenges. Um, it's hard for them to afford to pay an assistant pro fifty thousand dollars a year. They might have to pay an assistant pro ten dollars an hour um, because there just isn't revenue. The golf club, the golf course, is probably not making more than five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, and they have to. Pay maintain the whole golf course with that. Um, In the private world, I definitely think it's an awareness issue because there is more money, um, but I don't know that the decision makers quite realize uh, what the golf pros are doing on a week in and week out basis or a day in and day out basis. Um, So yeah, yes. I think Shane's article um, was a game changer for us. And I think it's really started this conversation.
5: Shane Ryan, as you got going in the reporting and you started talking to all these different people, some on the record, some off the record with, you know, yeah. for and for obvious reasons, they wanted to, they wanted to keep their jobs that they did have. Uh, what, what's, what's kind of some of the major takeaways for you, you know, now, even to this day and probably the feedback that you've received, what, what, what sticks in your mind, uh, and whether it's a stat or a fact or a figure or a quote or a comment?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I I think the pessimistic thing that sticks in my mind is that. It felt like I was learning on one hand about an industry that is fundamentally broken in terms of the working conditions that club pros exist under, Uh, that there is so much demanded of them, that there is a system in place where this was, you know, I won't say it was fine with people, but it was standard and it was expected. And all of a sudden, a new generation is coming up saying, we don't want to work like this. Uh, And so, you know, places are losing their pros, um, but they're faced with a reality where, to meet the to meet the standards of what people how they want to work now saying okay maybe you you know you get a weekend off once in a while maybe you only work 50 hours a week instead of 70 or 80 it would mean hiring more people and that's something that they don't want to do for obvious reasons right because that affects their budget and their bottom line but the reality is the clubs who are not doing that are falling behind because either they can't fill positions or when they do fill positions they're not filling them with the best people uh, and so you have this unbelievable sort of schism between what is expected, whether you're you know the board at a club or or the manager of a club, versus what is the reality uh, of what club pros want to want to do with their jobs. And so where the the gap between it is so wide and it got worse during the pandemic, and it's hard to see sometimes how it gets better.
5: For a deeper dive in context, back to Chandler Withington.
3: So here,
1: if you had to ask me like, okay, what's, what is at the heart of it? What is the issue and what can be done about it? You know, I've, I've spent probably three years having this conversation. I spent an afternoon on PGM row uh, at the, at the show in 20, asking the PGM leaders before COVID, you know, like what's going on with PGMs? Like, what are the kids doing and how many are staying in If they're getting out, why? Um, and I think maybe you got quoted in the story. I like think Bobby Bruns from Methodist said, Chandler, the reality is Google told these kids that this job sucks. You know, the internet came along and told them like, you know, you can go work for Google or Amazon, work nine to five, have weekends off, have benefits out of school, get paid double, probably play more golf, not have to move every six months. And, you know, until then, you know, people like myself, I mean, I was like, well, this is the job. This isn't so bad. I can do this. Like, heck, this is great. But like the internet told them that this job sucks. So younger kids will look at this and be like, this job sucks. So they've gone somewhere else. And the PGM enrollment again is, has been steadily decreasing. And I think the issue is the time expectation. So who has the time expectation? Where is that coming from? Every generation wants to hand down what their experience was. So, you know, if I had to work all these hours, you're going to have to work all these hours. Right. And we've got to break that cycle. So there's, there's fixed mindset, fixed mindset is the way things have been, or the way things will always be in the way that they should be. So let's just maintain growth mindset is, Well, that's the way it was, but that's not the way it'll always be. Let's find a smarter way to do things.
5: Here's Rick Riley, another voice from the first episode. Riley is the director of golf at Wilshire Country Club in Los Angeles, where he has worked for over 30 years. He's the son of Pat Riley, a former Marine. And in addition to being the pro at Annandale Golf Club in Pasadena for 30 years, Pat was the legendary past president of the PGA of America, who competed in US Open, PGA Championship. And in 1990... Prior to the PGA Championship at Shoal Creek, Riley used the timing and leverage to make sure that all PGA of America Championship venues had open membership policies. Pat Riley was inducted into the PGA Hall of Fame in two thousand five. What's your advice to sort of young aspiring club pros? What do you what do you tell them to look out for? What do you tell them to do? What do you tell them about the about the future of the of this industry?
9: Well, I mean the. the the golf industry, there's, there's more people playing golf than ever right now. Um, You know, the issue right now I see with, with, in my situation, and this is kind of across the board all, you know, when, when COVID hit, you know, they're giving away free money and we, I couldn't, I couldn't hire guys, couldn't find guys to hire. I mean, we're now, you know, minimum wage in California four years ago was $12. It's, it's going to be 18 or $19. So I'm looking at now, I'm competing, finding my, my staff competing against Walmart, who's going to be paying 22, 24 bucks an hour. You know, the, the, all the, the fast food in California, it's going to be $22 next year to work at a fast food restaurant. So that just, that just raises a bar for everyone. So it, you know, golf clubs, private clubs, public courses, daily fees, they all have to be aware of that. If they're, if they're looking for quality people, they're going to have to start paying them a quality wage. I, the guys working for me they all like to play golf they like to teach they they like they like working in the business but you know it, it's tough i mean there's there's some there's there's some tough days the last couple of years when you're short of staff and you're working 60 hour weeks and everybody's on the golf course everybody wants to play and you're just i mean you're just worn out at the end of the day you got to kind of say okay let, let me let, let me look at it. i'm hanging out here i'm this hundred acre property here in the middle of LA and there's cars that's like in a little oasis. So you gotta you gotta look at all the all the benefits of being in the business. It's not necessarily gonna make you're, you're not gonna make you're not gonna be a millionaire, but you're gonna have you're gonna have a good, comfortable life, put in the hours. You're you're playing a game that's fun to play. People are you know, people are rushing to get out of work to go run run around and play teen holes and we're there all day long. And it's it's uh it's a great place to be, but it, you know, once again, you gotta put in the hours. Um, you gotta have a love for it. I mean, my dad always said there's to, to be a good PGA professional, you got five points. You gotta be a player, you gotta be a teacher, you gotta be an administrator, you gotta be a rules expert. Probably most importantly, you have to be a people person. You cannot survive in my side of the business if you don't interact with people well and take care of people.
5: So to recap the issues or battles being fought here, it's work-life balance, it's money, it's the internet, it's awareness. And if you don't love the game or have the right skills to help others learn and love the game, it's not for you. And then along came a global pandemic, which exacerbated all of the above. I asked Shane Ryan to compare and contrast the idea that throughout COVID, club pros and PGA professionals could be compared to say nurses, Now, I get it. It's not the same. I'm not going to make that mistake again. But in the sense that both professions are, at the core, made up of selfless and underappreciated individuals who, throughout the worst of COVID, provided a thankless task on the front lines of trying to help the greater good, it seemed worth comparing and contrasting.
3: I think it is fair to say, you know, the, the nurse thing, though, presents an interesting contrast because it doesn't take a huge leap for you or I to imagine what being a nurse at a you know, hospital packed with COVID patients with all the stress and the hour, you know, how damaging that would be. Right. That That's simple to to reach that conclusion. I think what makes it harder for the general public with club pros is that the initial instinct is a little different. It's to say, oh, these guys get to work at a golf course, right? How great is that? And so it's harder for us to imagine that they are existing in conditions of similar stress where they're in a service job, essentially, right? So they're dealing with all these members. And in the pandemic, now there's more members than ever, more participants than ever. They have to work longer hours than ever. Uh, and it's it's not as easy to understand the stress that they're under. Uh, but like you said, it, it got worse and it exposed some a problem that's been existing for a long time. But it it magnified it and exposed it, and I think you know things like I wrote, and I'm certainly not the only one. Um, people are being far more outspoken on this now, uh, and so yeah, it's come to the forefront of attention. And yeah, like like I said before, it gets to the question of now: what do you do now? How do you fix it if you can fix it?
5: In the next episode of this series on the Club Pro crisis, we talk about possible solutions.
1: That's that's what I kind of see is like there's this generational gap. And I told Seth in February 20, I said, you've got to get the leaders of CMAA, the Club Managers Association, in the same room with PGA, and we need to understand each other better. You know, how are things changing? Who are we? Where are we now? What are we going? And what is crucial to our, to our success? And what will ultimately cripple us if we don't address it?
5: And later in the series, we hear from Brian Soule of Penn State's PGM program. Seth Waugh, the PGA of America CEO, and Susie Whaley, the PG of America's first female president.
10: Most of us really want to give back to our communities. That's why we do what we do. And we felt really strongly that we were doing that in an unbelievable way. And I think we went home feeling really good about ourselves. Like we got to see people every day, which I think was a gift for us uh, and for our mental health. But we also got to see people getting outside and enjoying it. And maybe if we gave them a little bit of joy in their day during this incredibly scary time, um, we were doing the right thing. But what that turned into was a um, perception that we were able to keep those hours going, that we could work very long hours, seven days a week with l- smaller teams and with the same amount of of club participants, if not more than we had had prior. And so it turned into this really enormous uh, balance um, that was getting out of balance. Crisis, I would say no. But it's taken us still, um, and I say that loosely, us being PGA professionals and leadership to educate boards, to educate facilities, to educate municipalities, um, to educate consumers as to what's going on. And while revenues are increasing at facilities because of golf's participation, dramatically Many facilities are using those revenue increases for capital expenditures, and I I happen to believe that your human capital is your best capital.
5: Put another log on the fire